I'm Nietzsche. And I'm Kelsey. And welcome to the Intersections of Friendship podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. This is part two of our conversation about um, taking a critical race lens through literature, which has led us into many other aspects of what it means to be woke and what it means to hold yourself accountable and hold others accountable. Would you say that's a fair, quick summation of our conversation? Yes, okay. I will. I will. Um, so one of the things that you, Nietzsche said at the end of uh, part one of this conversation was um, that she doesn't want to think about race all the time. She knows that everything is racial, but the burden of having to think about it critically like that is too much. And in that moment, I immediately realized that I didn't properly check my own privilege. Um, And as a white woman, I don't operate and move through the world the same way that Nietzsche does as a black woman. And so race is not my everyday reality unless I force it to be my everyday reality. And by force it, I mean look at the history, read books, think critically about what's happening in the world around me. How am I, how is my very presence causing harm to somebody? How is my very presence or choice of words or actions doing a disservice to somebody else? Um, Because I think it is sort of like a teeter-totter on like the kid's playground, right? Like. Mm -hmm. If I'm at the top of that teeter-totter, somebody's at the bottom. And if somebody's at the top, I'm at the bottom. And so trying to, like, even that out all times. But I have to be conscious of that. Like, I have to choose to be conscious of that. So what I just said to you, and I'm going to share with our our listening audience, I think one of the things people should kind of tell themselves all the time on both ends of the racial spectrum is to check their privilege. Yeah, and I needed to do that. Right. And check your sensitivity. Mm-hmm. So, on, I'm, the, I'm on the sensitivity end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I say that because the reason why I don't want to always have to think about race is because I'm going to be angry. And I'm going to treat someone a certain way who may not even deserve it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I felt the way I did when we were talking about um, Dr. Seuss, his books, that National Reading Day, and how all of that kind of came full circle. Because it's always... When you get into race, and I don't think people realize how, especially as a black American, like somebody who is literally on the bottom of the rung, mm-hmm. you know, in in society on how we were treated. And I know there's going to be a lot of people like, oh, but you guys have this, you have that compared to blacks everywhere around the world. You're doing better than most of them and you're doing this, this, that, and Doesn't the third. Matter. Exactly. But that's what people will tell you. And that's what I mean by check your privilege. Yeah. Not you, but in well, general. Well, I need to as well. Yeah, but you don't do that, honestly. I don't say Let's that, but I do need to check my privilege. Yeah, but your actions, put it to you this way. You, you're you aware of your privilege. Your actions reflect that in everything that you do. You're always respectful about certain things. And if you if you take a moment, you're always realizing what's going on around you. And then you act, which I appreciate. Thank but that's you. what I mean on the flip side. You have a lot of people... Um, I won't go too much into detail. My experience in life are very broad. And something that comes up to me, uh, stands out to me very potently about this is, I had someone tell me I was being too sensitive as um, a black girl because I was the only black girl in a situation and people were doing certain things to kind of talk to me. Mm. Hey girl, what's up? And it was funny because at that time I didn't even speak like that. 
No. You get what I was saying? Not okay. They were but, doing it just what they thought but, was appropriate. But do you want to do you want to know why they thought it was appropriate? Because you were the only black girl. Because they wanted to make me feel like I belong. And that's what I mean by sometimes like you said well-intentioned mm-hmm. people do things because in in certain atmosphere it is a microaggression. Somebody's mm-hmm. doing it to be rude, insensitive, disrespectful. But then you have moments where unfortunately Someone's doing it thinking that they're putting you in a comfortable space or saying, hey, I'm down with you, quote, you know, fist in the air. When in reality, that's what I mean by checking your privilege. Like if you really care, don't don't do that. Don't force that interaction. Allow that interaction to come from a place of I like you like a person. I want to get to know you as a person versus that racial aspect of what you think. I'm going to enjoy or how you think you should communicate with me based on my race. Yeah. There are two things that stuck out to me in what you just said. One, I'm a, I want to push back on the idea of race being a spectrum in this particular context of like privilege and then sensitivity. Uh, I do think race as a broad term is a spectrum. It's a sociological term. It's not. Yeah, real, it's not but, real. Um, it is a spectrum and how we understand it is a spectrum. But where I'm going with this is, I think in the that white people also need to check their sensitivity. So you just mentioned like if you had to think about it all the time, you would be angry. And I think sometimes in our society there is this belief that well, act right, do right and like I'll reward you because I'm the oppressor and so I get to pass around that power. Exactly. Um but that's respectability politics and I think but, but I think it's rooted in sensitivity, right? It's rooted in white frugality. And this idea that, like, power is being stripped away, therefore it makes them less of a person by allowing somebody to have humanity. Um, so I think checking your privilege and checking your sensitivity go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, particularly for white... And I'm only speaking from my own perspective because mm-hmm. I, I don't want to um, come across as... Yeah, or, and you're I, not I'm telling not us that you're yeah, not putting it on me. The I'm reason why I say check white your sensitivity, yeah, to, to like I think say about check your sensitivity because if you ever, if you've ever noticed, and you may have also just kind of chucked it off when you have people from who are considered black or brown or quote unquote minority, which we really are the majority if we keep it funky. Well, minority um, is an oppressive term. Ex- exactly. Mm-hmm. So when you have people from this other racial scope that's been um, treated completely horrible from the time of their existence in this place of America, mm-hmm. and we're so used to it, the reason why I say check your sensitivity is because I don't think it ever serves us well in this angry, I'm owed something state. Yeah, I'm, I'm a person about strate- being strategic. Mm-hmm. I am a person about feelings removal. And I say that because when you're in your feelings about something, you're missing an opportunity to be able to, I guess you can almost say win or get the situation in enough under control for you to win. Um, and for example, I had a conversation. The only reason why I knew about those people saying those things to me the way they did and why they did it was because after I got over my sensitivity and my anger about it and calmed myself down, I had a conversation and literally it ended up me just telling them it's not cool. 
mm-hmm. and they never did it again. So that's what I mean by sometimes you have to check, not you know, check your sensitivity. That doesn't mean you shouldn't recognize how it affects you. It doesn't mean you shouldn't recognize how it may play a role in your response or it should play a role in your response. But being sensitive about it and allowing that sensitivity to control how you respond mm-hmm. is the problem. Yeah, and I think, so I'm glad you came back to that because that was the second point I was going to make earlier was that what I think is so compelling in what you just said is that the people who were using this microaggression as a way to connect with you is the very reason we're even doing this podcast about showing authentic relationships and like conversations about a variety of topics where race is one of the underlying intersections of our friendship, but the way that we identify in our gender and the way that we express our gender is a part of that as well. The way that we um, work and operate in our professional spaces plays a role in that. So this is just one component of ourselves, but the point of this is to say, I think what we could all benefit from is being more authentic and having more understanding because if they wanted to connect with you and there's no harm in wanting to connect with you. The harm came when they had a microaggression to come with it. Or and when they assumed how to connect with me too. Yes. Assumptions. The assumptions. That's what I mean by check your privilege. And Yes, and I agree. And I think what I, I'm saying is, in addition to checking your privilege, be authentic. Like Be yourself. And if they came up to you and just said hello or whatever it was that they normally said between their friends that would have been totally different for you then to respond with, hey girl, if that was your normal response. But if that was not your normal response, then it would have been much more welcoming to just be yourself. And I think there's a fine line there between like being yourself, being authentic, and checking your privilege. Like all three of those things have to happen. You need to check your privilege, you need to check your sensitivity, and you need to be authentic and understanding. So I guess four things. All of those things have to happen at once, which makes it very difficult. And mm-hmm. you, like you have to be thinking, but it gets easier over time. Like as you, it does. I, I it. also think we now live in what I like to call a um, <sighs> forgive me if this term is rude to anyone. I think we live in a punkish society too. Like, Tell me, what do you mean? Just, just everyone is scared to talk about things or discuss things or have a conversation with things. We wait until we're angry or upset or pissed off before we go into a space where we want to tell people about themselves and how we feel about them and how things should have went. One of the things that gets on my nerves is you can't ask a question anymore. Mm. Because all of a sudden, everybody, well, well, you can't say this, you can't say that, you can't do this, you can't do that. I'm like, I can't even ask a question. Mm. and back to what we talked about the first time around there are literally some people in this world believe it or not who don't know certain terms are rude who don't know 
<laughs> one was elected as president. Like, no, he knows those terms are rude. That is totally different. Fair, we won't even fair, go that's there. That's fair. I, I, yep, you're right. He I, that was knows the wrong choice of words. Yep. He can play stupid all he wants. We won't even go there. He knows what he's saying. Yes. You don't get to be 70 and not at least know half that stuff is rude. No, you're right. You just don't give a, you know? No, he's using it as a manipulative tactic, yeah. which goes he back uses to part one to, of this conversation. It's... To create divisiveness and all yeah. these other things. We all know. I see the game being yeah, played. Sorry, that was a That's, no, no, choice. you're absolutely, I mean, but I get where you're coming from. the whole from. conversation, yeah. It's, it's a game being played, because trust me, I know how to manipulate people. I'm just not a negative manipulator, nor do I do it in general, but I've definitely been in positions where I could have clearly manipulated somebody to do something and I know the right words. We talked about this in another episode. Manipulation can happen very easily if you understand it enough and you utilize it against people. It's it's just like with, and sometimes I don't even like to use the term manipulation because sometimes it's more about just being persuasive. Sometimes it really is just giving your opinion on something to someone and seeing and if they take it or not, you know, but you're giving them sound points and they, they can choose to listen to them or not. You know, that's not manipulation. It's just more so let me put this out there. You take it how you want to or whatever. So it has levels to it, different areas. But I said to say, there are just some people who grew up in certain ways where they just do not know. I'm not using it as an excuse, but what angers me is when we don't take that opportunity to have a a real conversation with that person or one another and come to a place where we've informed them, they can talk to us and they've informed us too because that's an information point to us too. The reason why I know there are people who really don't know is because I've had conversations with people who really do not know. And that's why I say we live in like this punkish, scary society and then all of a sudden you're big, bad, and bold now that you're angry versus having those conversations before you got to that point where that interaction could have been such a positive, progressive interaction, but now it it sits negatively on all the parties because you've got to a place of anger, AKA check your sensitivity. And you got to put, and somebody else got to a place of being self-righteous because now they feel defensive, AKA they need to check their privilege. You, You see what I'm saying? So it's like, I just, that's, that kind of frustrates me too. You know, uh, oh, one of my favorite people, Charlemagne the God. I like dude. Definitely. <laughs> oh. I like dude. Uh, but the reason, I'll, I'll tell you why I like Charlemagne the God. He's one of the few people I feel like who's out there today who speaks with no filter. Is it okay? Sometimes not. I agree. He says some things. But at the end of the day, one thing I'll give dude, if he's wrong, if he's and he's proven wrong, he takes those blows. He apologizes. He does not. When it comes to trans rights, he does not. When it comes to his homophobia, he does not. I read his book because I was like, you know, let me give him a chance. Let me give him a chance. I almost stopped reading because it was offensive on every level. And at the end of the book, spoiler alert, please skip forward 15 seconds if you want to read. Black Privilege by Charlemagne the God. He does wrap it up towards the end and say how he's progressed and how he thinks differently and he sort of tries to gain that redemption we're talking about. And then literally a week after I finished the book, he talks about killing trans people. He got dragged through the mud for it. He stood up for his comments. He didn't apologize. He talked about murdering trans people. When 
trans people. Are you talking about when he said he would fight someone over something they he did would, that to him when, or didn't tell him or something like that? Yeah, with Janet Mock. Um, and that's unacceptable. Like, I hear when people say I'm, he speaks his mind, like he speaks without a picture. I'm not, wait, I'm wait, not wait, forgiving wait, him for that, though. Wait, wait, wait. That's the same argument people use with Donald Trump. And I'm not putting Charlemagne the God and Donald Trump in the same category. Let's be really clear about that. I'm putting the argument that mm. they speak without a filter in the same category. Screw the filter. Hold him accountable. He doesn't need to play into the respectability politics, but he does need to watch his mouth. And he does need to figure out a way to have a filter, but like be a little bit more progressive. Like Especially when he's talking about Certain I think issues. there's a better way to say things about your feelings and your concerns and how you put those things out there. And I will definitely agree with you there. I did not like what he said about that. Um, I partially understood his follow-up to it, but I still couldn't sit on it. So I'll agree with you there. Mm-hmm. Um, I This is going to be, a lot of people are going to be mad about this, but it's also part of the reason why Donald Trump hold like I don't really all this anger people have about Trump being in office and who he is and what he does. Mm-hmm. I don't have that anger mm-hmm. at all. Never did. Mm-hmm. And Tell the reason the reason being is that I look at people who do these types of things, who come into our lives, who come into these positions of power, as an an opportunity, an eye opening m- moment. Uh-huh. Like, look how high we were and how low we went, literally, mm-hmm. in, what, four, a year. Yeah. Technically a year. Mm-hmm. Maybe two years. Mm-hmm. Because the presidential race and all that was, what, for two years? It's yeah, they, about a year. It's about a year and a half. Yeah. But look how high, from how high to how low we went in a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if this had not happened, we wouldn't have all these people becoming exposed and we can ne- and we wouldn't still be out here lying about how progressive and how great our country is mm-hmm. like like other countries see how ugly we are when for what the last 20 years 30 40 years we've been taught ta- uh telling people we're this this that and the third and trying to put on this air of we're american we're awesome we're un- we're wonderful we're progressive we're equal Mm-hmm. I'm happy it happened because now you see all that BS is literally that BS. Mm-hmm. When we were sitting here talking about in the nineties, in the eighties, in the two thousands, how we were being targeted and treated. Now it's on a national attention level. What the unfortunate part of it is we're no better off now than we were then. We're still being killed like dogs in the street, mm-hmm. whether by our own hand or by police a, officers. Yeah, well, say. I was gonna say a political structure. Oh, that, because that's I think better. that goes yeah, beyond police. Structure. You're right. Because you're right. they gave all this power to police to be able to save their own. Where, in my personal opinion, if a police officer injures or hurts someone, there should be a completely independent. Mm-hmm. You got the people who have to work with them investigating them. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, absolutely not. The person I just went to lunch with to help him put somebody else in jail now has to try to put me on trial. And they're 
of course I have that connection with them. Mm-hmm. So they're going to give me the benefit of the doubt. They're going to do everything they do can to get me off, even though they're supposed to be prosecuting me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kind of sense does that make? It doesn't. Just I agree with you. Like just like we have this judicial court that oversees the actions mm-hmm. of other judicial courts. It's separate. It's independent. It hears everything. It moves up there based on, you know, whatever standards go in place. But if you get a court decision in Michigan, I'll use my home state as an example. If I get a court decision in Michigan on the level of maybe Saginaw Circuit or Detroit Circuit or Wayne County, then I appeal and go to the state. Mm -hmm. Then I can appeal and go to the Supreme Court to -hmm. see if they'll take my thing. Why don't we have a system in place for that for police officers? Because we don't have one, if you think about it. So why is it so important? Why wouldn't you police them the way that you police the law, I guess you could say? Because you're not policing the law, I guess you mm-hmm. could say control the law. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you control them the way that you control the law? Mm-hmm. What? And that, to me, shows that you're putting things in place for them to be able to do what they do. Mm-hmm. And you don't care. Uh, yeah. And that's off kilter. But I, I, going back to what we were talking about, this is why I say I like, oh boy, see the God. I said, oh boy, that's bad. <laughs> this is why I like see the God. He will ask questions, no matter how uncomfortable that question may be. What I do think needs to happen, though, is those questions need to be asked in more of a respectful manner. Mm. And... I think a lot of us should take the moment to kind of read up. We do live in a society where a lot of information is available, regardless of what your uh, levels of access is. Even with the most, unless you 100% don't even have a cell phone or a computer in your house, there's information out there that you can assess for little things. And we all grew up with a sense of respect morally to other people. Whether you show it or not, you've got it. I just want us to be more open to talking to people, to asking those questions and not being angry when people ask. Because que- there's a lot of questions that I personally want to ask that I just don't because I'm, I'm at a point where I just don't feel like arguing with people or or people getting all in their feelings about a question that is, is, is as simple as, why do you like to do that one thing? And mm-hmm. everybody get upset. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting what you're saying. There's so many points that I think we could tan- like go off of. But one that's really resonating with me is it's like the the idea that you can ask anything and you can sort of live in a space where it's okay to be unfiltered um, and to not have like respectability politics playing into it. And I think with Charlemagne the God, we sort of went into that. A little bit, but with Donald Trump being elected, I've really had to sit in my feelings about being grateful that certain things have come to the top. Because, like, as someone who has been an activist under President Obama and being actively silenced by the political structure you just described with police and, like, you know, you Google search my name and there are articles about me being up against riot gear in Baltimore. And I, mm-hmm. I'm saying this as a way to say, like, 
I hear you and I hear and I felt exhausted in in this space where nobody would hear what we were saying Mm -hmm. and in some ways I feel grateful to have that come to earth caveat here and the big 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 caveat is action has to be taken Oh, like no there doubt. has to be no doubt something and like we need to pull together we can't just say oh like x y and z is upsetting us and i'm saying x y and z because i'm sure next week when this actually goes live it's going to be a whole new set of situations that he's opened his mouth about um he don't he, open his mouth he got twitter twitter fingers. when he types <laughs> his fingers um but what i like, it, he needs to be held accountable. He will he, be. You just can't do he, it now. Not I, I can't him. see him coming out of the presidency and nobody really catching him. So he is not who I'm concerned about. The political structure is what I'm concerned about. If we don't change our political structure, nothing is going to change as a result. We just become... And remain a more racist society. I agree. We're still we living continue off laws to polarize. from 1734 or 86 or whatever. We have to rewrite the structure. And with that being said, we can't just keep complaining. You know, part one of this conversation was about the idea of being woke and how, like, being woke now somewhat excuses people of being critical of their own actions. And I think we need to start being critical of our own actions we need to be critical of our system, and I think we need to rewrite our political system. I agree. You know what I want to challenge people to do? Instead of being woke, be aware. Yeah, and I think that term is a great term, but will it then get co-opted by cute white people who <laughs> think that buying houses in black neighborhoods is not gentrification, and they drink their $7 smoothie and their avocado toast? You know, so, and I love my avocado toast, so and I can't again, be mad. A, and so, but, so that's how you—that's the lens you see it in, right? And where I get upset about that same position is black black people who inherited homes from their family members and didn't learn how to pay the taxes or didn't put themselves in a position to keep those homes, even when they were offered the opportunity to do so, even when they were supported with the opportunity to do so. And instead said, Oh, this house is worth this much. I'm just going to go ahead and get rid of it. You know, instead of taking the step to keep it and invest in it and grow something wonderful that their parents or their grandparents, you know, gave them and presented and built for them. That's the flip side. So I disagree. I don't think that's the the flip side. I think that's I think it's a, a part of flip the flip side. side. Um, I'm not dis. I'm not because dis- I think financial crediting. literacy is hard, and I think it's, it's very not even just about financial literacy. It's wealth though. literacy because if you don't understand the idea of home ownership, like I, I I think you're you're holding. I I'm I'm gonna go back to how I always do. And hold the system accountable. Why I is the, the financial system accountable to a degree? But after at, at some point, this is and that's why I say this is where I know a lot of people feel like I go against the grade. I feel like at some point, accountability falls on you. Right? Now, hear me out. Okay. Hear me out. My knowledge of slavery, people being enslaved, African American history, mm-hmm. did not start nor did it end with the school system. 
Yes. My knowledge of who I am as a person, my last name, where my family comes from, what we're about, never started or ended with the school system. And when I say system, I'm not saying the school system. I'm just saying system in general. Okay. It didn't start with the system, right? At some point, you, as a person, you recognize that the system, things were against you. See, let's put it in your perspective. I want to give it to you how you would understand it, how I see it. As a woman, Mm -hmm. they try to limit you. They try yeah. to control our vaginas. Yes. <laughs> and everything. Women have what? Like 30-something laws over their vagina and men have zero or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's some foolishness. We also right? pay like close to two grand a year more just for being a woman. Yep. Because of our vagina. Yep. Yeah. So. Continue. With that being said, using that as an example, if you choose not to become, at a certain point, you realize being a woman is considered a disadvantage or some point you realize being a woman is $2,000 more Mm -hmm. (laughs) in things. You learned that you took the initiative to figure it out. Right. No one, no one said, Oh, being a girl sucks to you. You realized it. And then you probably thought why, and you probably felt like maybe I should understand why. Correct. To a degree. Uh, Yes. And no, come on with it. No, it's, yes, yes, I had to go with what I felt, and right. I had to critically analyze what I felt. You took a moment to do that, and then after you critically analyzed, you did, you might have talked to someone, looked at some things, researched some things, became involved in something just to figure out some things. No? Yes, and here's where I'm gonna, where I'm hesitating. I think that we're defining system differently. Because... I think that is a system. What, for women? No, I think where I'm gaining information is another system. So there is a system in place for... um, The women is a little bit harder for me because it's multiple spaces that we occupy. So I'm going to move the conversation to like criminal justice. There's the space of the political system related to criminal justice as you just mentioned this is why i'm bringing us back to this example mm-hmm. of like how you would go through the criminal justice system versus how a police officer would go through the criminal justice okay. system the other system we have here is um like justice reform activism mm-hmm. and that system like hierarchy within that system and at the end of the day like all of that is looped into like capitalism as a whole and like the umbrella system is capitalism here and like is failing us miserably well not really. It's actually doing exactly what it's intended to do. But where, so I realize that as a woman, as a white woman, I am less likely to get pulled over by a police officer. Statistically speaking, Absolutely. I am less likely to be pulled over. I'm, if I'm pulled over, I'm more likely to walk away alive. Yes. I'm more likely to walk away without being arrested. Mm-hmm. And I'm more likely to get a lower fine. Statistically I cool, speaking. I have a story about that after you finish okay. this. Um, so I recognize all of those things. So like my personal experience, let's say by, by circumstance, I figure this out. I have to then go to resources put together by justice reform activists who explain how the other system works. But there is an entire system that they built to disseminate information. Of course. And to organize within themselves. That is another 
system. Yes, yeah, system so, and a system. I get you. So what I'm saying is that we need to hold the system accountable. Is that we need we to do like, need to hold it accountable. Wait, yeah, but, but it's one of those things where I also feel like oh god, I just need a really good basic analogy. If I'm drowning and you jump in that water to save me. And I flail and kick all over the place like a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. Would you be successful in saving me? In order to save me or bring me to the top of the water, I've got to pretty much exist with you. I've got to allow you to lock up underneath, like put your arms underneath me or wrap your arm around me and go up. And I've got to, I don't have to kick with you, but I should mm-hmm. because it allows us to propel up together. Right? Mm-hmm. But if I'm flailing and freaking out and da, 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 I'm more likely to pull both of us down than to come up with you. Or you or you'll have to let me go and go up, right? So I think in this simple analogy, you're absolutely right. So but we can't simplify a complex problem. I'm not saying we simplify a complex problem. We're just using this as like a preliminary starting point, right? Okay, so I'm with you. Yes. Let's use that as a starting point, right? Okay. So your parents or your grandparents all these people before you fought to get to this point of a just literally home ownership through zoning laws through discrimination mm-hmm. through loan discrimination they fought to get to this point of even owning a home so to me when you take over that space and you own that home and you 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 treat it like it's nothing, because I've seen it, Kelsey. Mm-hmm. I've seen people literally treat these, and I consider them blessings. They treat what their people, their family, literally gained as nothing. Mm-hmm. That's where I get angry, and I'm not saying that there are not these little systems in place to work against you. I'm not saying there's not these little things that you should know that you don't know because of whatever circumstances, you know, different racial circumstances. I'll say racial circumstances, systematic and racial circumstances do prevent us from knowing a lot of stuff. Right. But that right there bothers me. I hear you. And I think, and we're, I think we have to check our privilege and check our understanding and check, check our sensitivity about this because we might see those things happening in select cases, but in some ways I think we have to hope and understand that that's not every person's situation no. who lost their home. No. And so I think, while I agree with you that that's frustrating, if, if that's what we know to be true, that somebody gave up. I just home, look at my, like, I just use my block as an example. You like, know, I knew three different people who did literally the same thing on my block. Mm-hmm. Inherited, one inherited a home seeing the housing market going up was like oh i'm getting you know i'm gonna sell it you know and i was just like yo like why wouldn't you invest and they were and there was conversations about this there was no need to sell there was a regret of selling you know so it's like i get it we're definitely in a position where privilege is also knocking on the city you know just using this as a conversational piece privilege is knocking on the city but i also think that on the flip side, what did we do to combat that privilege from being able to even take a foothold? And that's where I go back to the system. There are a few community banks in D.C. and there are community-based organizations 
that are working really hard to make that happen, but their classes are still backlogged. They're, like, for example, I signed up today for pre-purchase orientation mm-hmm. for homeownership. Oh, yeah. so That's a long process. I told you that, though. You did tell me this. Um, and if I'm somebody who... I'm going to get us into a really long tangent. We're at time for yeah. this conversation. Um, but I think at the end of the day, like, we still, we just need to check our privilege. Check our privilege, and check like, our check sensitivity. Our, yeah, and, like, and be, yeah, I just, I think that's the moral of our entire conversation. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Intersections of Friendship. This is Nietzsche again, and we enjoy sharing this experience with you. In between episodes, you can connect with us via Twitter or Instagram at underscore x friendship underscore. Additionally, you can email us at intersectionsoffriendship at gmail.com with any of your questions or comments. You never know, maybe something you share may end up on the podcast. Until next time, Here's hoping you have an amazing day and we look forward to having you again.